Jonah. God tells him to go to what city? Nineveh. Wow, that famous, that great city, God calls it. That great city of Nineveh, where there is roughly 120,000 people that, God says, don't know their left hand from their right. Okay? All right? We don't find this out till a little bit later on in the, in the scriptures, but um, God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to that city. I want you to tell them that destruction is coming because of their sin. And if they don't repent of their sin, I'm going to destroy the city. And so, on hearing the word of the Lord, Jonah goes immediately to the city of Nineveh and preaches to that city. No, he does not go immediately to that city of Nineveh. He buys a ticket. He buys a ticket and he packs up his stuff and he jumps aboard a ship that's headed to Tarshish. Okay? And so it says in the scriptures, you can turn there if you would like to Jonah, and it says in the scriptures that Jonah goes down into the hull of the ship where the cargo is and he, and he makes himself comfortable there. Okay? And so he's comfortable. He's making himself comfortable. Now, in his mind, Jonah is thinking, if I go to Nineveh, there's probably a a bunch of different things that Jonah is thinking, wouldn't you say? If I go to Nineveh and preach to them, God is going to turn their hearts back to him, and I'm going to look like a fool. (laughs) Okay? Okay. Nobody or nobody's going to believe me, and God's going to destroy the city. Um, I'm just going to run away and see if I can get out of the reach of God. And so he packs up his stuff. He buys this ticket to uh, to Tarshish, and he, he boards the ship. He goes down into the hall, and um, and he makes himself comfortable there. The Bible says. Well, on their way, God caused a mighty storm to kick up, and the whole ship was going to sink, okay? And so the people that are on this ship begin to converse together, who, which of you has offended your God to make him angry with us that he would try to kill us and sink our ship? And so none of them can think of anything that has happened. And so one of the guys ends up going down into the ship, and he he finds who? Jonah sleeping. He's sleeping while all of this is going on, and the rest of them are going to die. Now, mind you, they've taken the cargo, and they've pitched it overboard in order to save their lives. But nothing worked. The sea was enraged as if God was angry. And so they find him, and how can you sleep at a time like this? Call on your God. Maybe maybe he's the one that's angry with us, and maybe you can uh, appease him in some way. And what does he say? He says, brothers, 
Don't worry yourselves about this. It's, this is my fault. This is my fault. I have offended my God. I have done something. I have strayed from him. I have disobeyed him. And it is he that has caused this storm to come upon you because of me. All right? And he says, take me and, and throw me overboard into the sea, and the sea will relent. The storm will go away. And so they're like, oh my gosh, we can't do this. That's murder. We can't throw this guy over into the sea. How could we do such a thing? And so they think about other ways, and, and they're drawing straws, and they're, they're throwing more stuff overboard, and they try to row themselves back to shore. But the wind is against them. They can't get anywhere. And so reluctantly, they take Jonah, and they pray to Jonah's God. And jo- listen to what Jonah... Let's, let's read there. I wanna, this is really important here. Jonah calls his God the eternal. Isn't that cool? Interesting? What page is Jonah on? <laughs> let's look at Jonah. 11.95, that's what it is. Now, Jonah knows that it is he who has caused this problem, doesn't he? He knows that because of his refusal to obey his refusal to do what God told him to do, that it has caused this problem. So he says, so in verse 10, let's go to verse 10. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, well, just... Just pick me up and throw me into the sea. Who says that? Who says that? And it will be, become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. But they, they couldn't because the sea grew even wilder. Then they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life because it was sure death. Do not hold us accountable for killing this innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Now notice these people are beginning to recognize the power of God. Okay? Now back in verse 9, they're they're asking Jonah, after they find him, they say, you know, who who are you? Where are you from? What have you done? Tell us, you know, tell us about yourself. He says, well, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. (laughs) This is the God that has caused this problem. Okay? And so, in other versions, it calls him the eternal one, the eternal one, the almighty, the, one, the creator of all of this that you see. That's the God that I represent. That's the God that I serve. 
All right. In verse 15, they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. All right. Now, we know that while Jonah is sinking down to the depths of the sea, and in his prayer to God, he says, the seaweed is tangled around me. All right, I can't imagine how scary that would be. But in this story, it says that God sent a great fish of some sort, okay, a great fish to swallow Jonah, all right? So in, in this story, the, the fish becomes, in a sense, a salvation, all right? Because it swallows up Jonah, and it, and it keeps him there for three days. Jonah is able to live in the belly of this great fish for three days. And while he's in there, he prays to God. And then eventually, three days after, God brings that fish to the shore, and he spits up Jonah. And out comes Jonah. I bet he was a smelly feller at that point. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? And so Jonah, he, he ends up, to make a long story short, he, he ends up going to Nineveh. And a day's walk into Nineveh, Nineveh is a, a big place. Okay, so a day's walk into Nineveh, Jonah stops and he begins to yell out. If you don't repent, if you don't stop and acknowledge God, he will destroy this city very soon. Okay? And the people, they respond. Can you believe it? The people respond. They're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's this God? Who are you? And it creates this stir in the midst of these people, okay? In the midst of this great and busy and, and rich city. And so Jonah preaches to these people and he yells out to them in, in the center, repent to God, turn from your wicked ways, or God is going to destroy this city. All right? And so the people respond to that. And, and even in verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he says this, To all of the city of Nineveh, he says, Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let him give up their evil ways and their violence. This kind of reminds me of that scripture where it says, um, what is it, Second Chronicles 7.14? That says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear them from heaven and heal their land. Okay? But notice, these are not 
a God-fearing people. These are not a God-fearing people. These are unsaved people, all right? And yet this king hears this, what Jonah is saying, and he's, he's responding to it immediately. And because he's in charge, he tells all of that great city to do the same thing. And so no one, not man nor beast, is able to eat or drink, but will be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone, in verse 8, call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he in fact relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah now, this seemed very wrong. Jonah was angry with God. Now, there's a few... There, think about Jonah here. Put yourself in Jonah's place, okay? Now, remember, God told him to go tell that city to repent or they're going to be destroyed. But in, in Jonah's mind, even though he, he's running from God, he knows that God is in control. All right, if you read through this, you can see God's hand and how God is controlling nature all the way through this. All right? God causes the storm to come up. He causes the storm to go down. He causes the great fish to swallow Jonah. He causes the great fish to spit up Jonah. He causes later on a vine to grow up. He causes a worm to eat the vine. He causes the vine to die and so on and so forth. So you can see all through this, God's power and authority are demonstrated through all of this, this, this talk, this language, if you will. You can learn a lot from the language that's being um, portrayed here, the kind of language that's used to tell the story, if you will. And so Jonah, he prayed to the Lord, verse 2, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Do you remember when I said this to you? That is what I tried to forestall, it says, by fleeing to Tarshish. So I was trying to to get out of this situation because I knew this is what you were going to do. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so he knows God. God is that way, isn't he? He is a God that when people repent and they turn from their wicked ways, that God responds to that. And so he knows that God is this way. And he says, I knew that's what you were going to (laughs) do. I knew it. Now, Lord, just take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He was really upset. He's probably embarrassed. And what about this? These were non-God-fearing people. So in Jonah's eyes, he, he was probably thinking, all right, and this probably would have been the normal course of thought, that these people don't deserve your mercy. These people don't deserve your grace. These people don't deserve to be saved. 
These people don't deserve your love. It's, in a sense, they were like today's ISIS. We would say of ISIS, they don't deserve God. (laughs) Yeah? Have you said that? How about the terrorists? They don't deserve God. God, I want you to be angry with them, so angry that you will not let them into heaven. All right? And if you study the scriptures, this was the the heart of the people back then. Think of the Samaritans. They, the Jewish people felt the same way about the Samaritans, and some of the priests were even praying that they would be turned away from heaven, that they would not be allowed in. And so this, this course of thought, it was, we are the chosen ones, They don't deserve it. Look at them. Look how sinful they are. Look how violent they are. Look how evil and wicked they are. They don't deserve you, God. But we do. (laughs) Okay? Have you... uh, Now, think about this. How about... Do you remember the story about the, um, the tax collector? Yeah? And the, um... The other guy, who was he, a Pharisee? Publican. Publican. Well, Publican's a tax collector, right? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, So they go, these two guys go into the temple to pray, and the one says, thank you, God, that I am not like this other one. (laughs) Thank you, God, that I I tie the tenth of everything that I get. Uh, Everything that comes to me, I give a tenth to you. Thank you that I, you know, I have all these great things. And, and, And so there's a pride there, isn't there? I am, I am chosen, and so I deserve what you, okay? But yet this other, thank you that I'm not like this other lowly creature, this, this, this tax collector. But the tax collector, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he was evil and that he was wicked. And yet he came. He wouldn't even approach the altar because he knew how sinful he He wouldn't even lift up his head. He was that aware of his sin. And he cried out to God, and the Bible says that he beat his breast. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, for I am evil. And, he, and, and Jesus says, well, who, who of these two went away justified? Well, the one that admitted and turned. All right? And so we see the same sort of... Um, Context, these same things going on. And so, so Jonah was thinking about these people. They don't deserve what I have. Have you ever felt that way? I want you to be honest with yourself, all right? When we see things on TV, okay, when we see people outside of the church, when we see or hear their language in, in various places, and we kind of, in a sense, oh, turn up our nose at them, and we would say, God would, you know, just... And in our hearts, we would say they don't deserve the love of Christ. Does that prick you a little bit? Because it does me. It pricks me. And it reminds me that I am a sinner saved by grace by the blood of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. And I am no greater than those. 
Do you understand that for these very people, Christ Jesus came and he died? Christ Jesus loves them. And so later on, Jonah is angry with God. But God says to him in verse 4, Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? All right. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, again making himself comfortable, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Okay, so he's up on this ridge, if you will, outside the city, just in case God did not relent, and he's just kind of watching what's going on. Then the Lord provided, here it is, okay, controlling nature, provided a leafy plant or a vine in some version and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. This is a great plant. This is a shade plant. This is a God-given plant that grew up in a day, overnight actually, and um, gave Jonah some shade and he was so glad. But at dawn, the next day, God provided, here it is again, controlling nature, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it would, so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Now God's controlling the, the heat and the wind. Then the sun blazed on Jonah's head and he grew faint. And again, Jonah, he wants to die and he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. Better for me to die than to live in this crazy heat. Sometimes you feel like that way, don't you? <laughs> you know, all this heat, I can't breathe. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? But the Lord said, well, Jonah says, it, it is right for me to be angry about this here plant. I'm so angry, I just, I wish I were dead. This plant Verse 10, but, jo- but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you didn't do anything to tend it or, or, or make it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Now listen to this. This brings all of this story. Now notice, God leaves Jonah with a question. And as we read this, God leaves us this question. Now let's read this together. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand or their right hand from their left and also many animals? Isn't that weird that that's put in there? God cares about the animals. Why wouldn't he? He created them. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I love that. But the question here is, shouldn't I care about that city where there are so many people going to hell? <laughs> shouldn't I have concern for them? Don't you think it's right for me to show concern for them? Why do you think, Jonah, that I wanted you to go there to begin with? Because of my great love. Friends, too often, even we as believers, we have this pride and even this arrogance that we are entitled because of the way we live. Though 
it's important to live lives of obedience to Christ, yes? That's what he demands. That's what he commands, okay? However, this arrogance toward other people, even those, yes, that are terrorists, yes, even those that are evil and wicked, God wants them to come to salvation. There's a scripture that says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to perish. No. God was so willing to relent to these sinners, to these evil, to these wicked people, that he sent someone to them with the answer. Sometimes we are like Jonah. Sometimes we disobey God because it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes we're afraid of what the outcome is going to be. And so we disobey God. We, we don't do what He tells us to do. But did God give up on Jonah? No, he did not. No, he did not. Did Jonah go to the people of Nineveh and and do what God asked him to do? Yes, he did. Eventually. (laughs) Right? God, see, there's so... I love the book of Jonah because there's just so many messages that are being put forth here, all right? God does not give up on Jonah, and he's not going to give up on you. And he's not going to give up on me. All right? Did Jonah suffer for his disobedience? (laughs) Yeah, he did. Okay. Will we? Yes, we will. But God doesn't give up on us. And so while he's shaping Jonah, he's sending salvation to people who don't deserve it. And in Jonah's eyes... Those people were perfect for that characteristic, that explanation. They don't deserve you, God. I don't want them to be saved. They don't deserve it. Does any one of us deserve God? Does any one of us deserve salvation? Does any one of us deserve forgiveness? No, we do not. (laughs) The Bible says that not one of us is righteous. Not one. And of our righteousness, God says, the, uh, all of our filthy, all of our, the best of our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's dirty and it's, it's stinky. The best that we could ever hope to offer God because of our works and, and who we are, it's, it's just filthiness to God. It's dirty and it's scummy and it's, we don't deserve God any more than the worst of sinners. And yet, he extends his love and his forgiveness to all. Do you understand? And so, as we sit here in our beautiful church, in our comfortable seats, hearing good music and great preaching, I love you, I love you, I love you. (laughs) As we sit here in this church together, enjoying each other, people outside 
of these doors in our communities, our own neighbors, God tells us, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 18, and 19, the great what? Commission. Go where? Into all the world. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Don't just stay. Basically, that says, don't just stay in your little circles. Go outside of those circles. Don't just stay within the four walls of your churches. Go out into your communities. Go to your neighbors. Friends, I am guilty of this, and God has been wrenching my heart about it. How often do we go to our neighbors and invite them to church? How often do we go to them? Do we see a need and we don't meet it? We have people living all around us, and how often do we speak to them about Christ? How often do we speak to them? How often do we uh, meet a need that they have? It's not very often, friends. We should feel conviction. God is sending conviction to our hearts through his word that we are not doing enough. These empty, beautiful red chairs are evidence, okay? I don't do enough on my own street to proclaim God's love and forgiveness. I don't do enough, not even close. In my community, it's even less. That's scary. That's scary, friends. You want to see the church full? Sunday morning, you bring somebody with you. We want to see the kingdom of God advance. We go into the communities. We, when we're at the McDonald's, we share with somebody the love of Christ. When we're pumping gas at the res, we're sharing Christ with somebody. We're showing love to somebody. Yeah? When we're at Walmart, we're sharing love and sharing Christ Jesus with someone. God, didn't, or God cared so much for that place because it was void of him. Do you understand that? There was a spiritual vacuum in that place that needed God, and they didn't know. They just didn't know. And so he cared enough to send someone to them. Isn't that beautiful? That God cared even for these evil, wicked people. That they would all repent and be saved. When the family of God works correctly, God's spirit is invited naturally to come in and begin to perform and when we are in unity, in love, and we are doing our part, and friends, we at Alabama have a lot to be thankful for. I, I go to a lot of different churches, and it's not like that, okay? And we are blessed, and God has poured out his favor upon us. We are really blessed here. And we are blessed because each of each other, all right? And we depend upon each other. 
We look after each other. We love each other genuinely. There's a, a deep caring there. Do you sense that? All right. And we truly are a family. We enjoy being together. It's not like that everywhere. Okay? People don't get along as good everywhere. All right? There's always things. There's always stuff. That's the way it is. Right? Whenever there's people involved, there's always stuff that goes on, right? But it's not that way everywhere. And just because it's that way here, the one thing that I believe that we need to do better in is evangelism. We need to take what we have found here. We need to take that out there. Okay? And there will be times when people won't come. So it's not even essentially about bringing people to church, is it? No. It's about preaching the Word of God, teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded us, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right? So you are, in a sense, as, as Paul was telling Timothy, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're speaking truth to, to a people that are not a people. All right? In First in, in Peter, God is, is speaking to, uh, through Peter, that once you were not a people, but now you are a people. We, we have been chosen, and we're built as as a building, all right? And it talks about this building being built on a cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith, okay? And that we are all stones. Notice it doesn't say uh, studs or wood, right? Because in Israel, lots of stone, right? Okay, so we are all stones built into one building, Now, each of these stones is holding the other one in place, and the others are holding it in place. And we we together make up this building. We are together the family of God, the church of God. We are Christians. We as Christians ought to love others so that when other people that don't treat those other... Okay, so let's just say we're, we're talking about somebody that's in jail, okay? Let's say we're talking about somebody that's in jail. Other people might do this. We do this. You understand? Where other people would say, they don't deserve God. That's not us. We do this. We love because we were first loved. <clears throat> Do you understand? Let this speak to you. God has been speaking, and God wants to speak, and he wants to move upon our hearts. And if we will but open our mouths, he will speak. We're blessed. I'm blessed to be a part of what God is doing here at Alabama. I'm blessed to have you as a friend. I'm a better man because of you, because you're here. We are better people because we love each other. We, we depend on each other. That's the way the family of God is supposed to work. Okay? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father,
Lord Jesus, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Scripture, Lord. Thank you, God, that you speak to us through Scripture. Thank you that you desire to work in us and that you're working in our faith, that you're molding us and you're shaping us out of this just lump of clay, that you're shaping us into something that has a purpose and into something that is beautiful. You are the potter, we are the clay. Mold us and make us, Lord, according to your will. Help us, O God. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. We are guilty. We are guilty of not proclaiming your truths. We are guilty of being quiet when we should speak. And we are guilty of not being quiet when we shouldn't. Help us, O God, to speak the truth of your word and your salvation, to speak it in love. Not being condemning, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as your word says. Help us, O God, to represent you to this world. And we pray that you would win our families, that you would win our communities, oh God, that you would move into the places where we think that, you're, that you can't move. We pray that you would move into the households and into the hearts of those who would seem far too far away for you to reach, that you would reach them, oh God, and that you would use us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.